Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Hey friends, Happy New Year. I hope everything's kicking off well for you. And I know probably a lot of you are thinking ahead to what you want to do this year and maybe in your nonprofit, you're considering what kinds of meetings or trainings and get-togethers you need to have, even though a lot of it may still be virtual. And virtual is kind of on everybody's brain right now with things moving online and in-person events being canceled. So that's why today's guest I've asked to come on and talk about this because this is her area of expertise. She knows her stuff when it comes to virtual training. Today I'm talking to Heather Bright. She's the founder and CEO of Skill Masters Market. Heather creates effective learning and leadership development strategies and training for organizations. She totally understands the challenges of online learning. And today she's sharing some great tips with us. So whether you are leading meetings or any kind of small group, anything virtual, you are going to learn some great tips today. Heather believes that people excel when they know what's expected of them and they can show up authentically at work. She specializes in creating dynamic, people-centric solutions that drive their business goals. As you'll hear, Heather is dedicated to getting to the heart of what will bring real results and to creating the learning strategies and solutions needed to develop those competencies. Heather has worked with nonprofits, higher education, and government agencies. She leverages her 15 years of experience to be a strong collaborator and an ideal partner. She identifies your needs and designs effective solutions, whether in person, virtual, or blended. Heather believes that people are worthy of investment and that doing so makes them feel valued and gives them new skills and a new passion for their work. She has seen how organizations are better when they empower their people to operate from their strongest capabilities, and she won't stop until she's helped people see, feel, and achieve their potential. So listen in and prepare to take notes because she's got some great advice today. Heather, welcome. It's great to have you today, and I'm excited about some of these topics we're going to discuss. Tell us one random fact about yourself. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, So I I had to think about this one. I don't think I'm all that interesting to come up with random facts, but one thing that I just find interesting, probably because of my own personal background in learning and leadership development, is I, when I went off to college at 18, I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. And now looking back on my college and even early career experience, it's so funny to me how everything I have done has kind of led me to where I am. 
So I was in a sorority in college and one of the volunteer roles that I held with that sorority was uh, new member education. And when I received the materials for that new member education, it was it was lacking <laughs> in a lot of ways. And I totally recreated the curriculum that needed to, to happen and how it needed to happen, lesson plans, everything. And then when I handed that off to the next person, they were just amazed at what they found. Back, to, back then it was a binder, right? But they were just amazed at what they found in that binder um, to be able to run that new member education program in the future. And I think that's just so interesting that that was a volunteer role that I ended up in. And then ultimately, years down the road, ended up in a career very similar to that. It's almost like a mirror of what you're doing now. <laughs> it is. It is in a lot of ways. That's funny how sometimes the things we do, we don't even realize what a skill they are. It's just so natural for us. And other people are like, wow, how'd you do that? It's so true. It's so, so true. Yeah. We don't even recognize our own superpowers sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's awesome. My journey has been very similar in that certain things I never would have put together or imagined have built on each other to prepare me for the next step and for where I am now. So it's really cool that works out that way. Yeah. It's funny to look back for sure. You never know. I don't feel like you always recognize it when you're in it. For but sure. But when you look back on it and, and take the time to reflect, it's amazing what you can see. Right. And it's good to stop and do that sometimes. It is. So how did you get into nonprofit work from starting out in that regard <laughs> yeah. and now where you are? Yeah. Um, so I, when I graduated from college, again, I still had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, but I somehow found myself in the world of adult learning and followed that path for a very long time in different industries. I was in government contract work, uh, for-profit higher education, and then nonprofits. And I, in my last nonprofit role, uh, led the, um, the work around the competency model. They had a proprietary competency model. So I, it was my responsibility to keep that model up to date, current, relevant, and usable. And then to provide all the resources that were needed to implement that model across the talent lifecycle. So from hiring the right people, onboarding them effectively, developing them over time, both through the training pieces, but also through um, the assessment pieces and the coaching pieces. And so really looking at how do we make sure that we have the staff that we need and they have the skill sets that we need them to have. And uh, I was able to take that. And then uh, now with my consulting business, I work with nonprofits um, all over the country to help them with their onboarding and training pieces, and then also do some diversity, equity, and inclusion work as well. So I like to say it's the non-compliant side of HR, the fun side. <laughs> I don't do anything with employment law or benefits or anything like that, but uh, I get to do all the fun stuff like onboarding and people strategy and um, training. So it's a lot of fun. Wow. It sounds like yours is similar to what I do. And we help look at the big picture and figure yes. out what pieces they need and how to connect the dots. You're just yes. doing it from an HR perspective, as opposed to grants and strategy from the funding side. Very true. Yes. I, I partner with nonprofits to create the environment and the opportunities that their people need to thrive. So I think both about the, the culture and the experience that the people are going to uh, have while they're in the organization, but also what are those uh, opportunities, those trainings or coaching experiences they, that they need to be successful. That's really important because I think a lot of nonprofits don't consider that experience 
for internal or external, whether it's your employees and volunteers or your donors. And that's important to have someone outside come in and help because when you're in the thick of it on the front lines, you're swamped just trying to keep up and meet the demands and provide services and grow this thing. So that's important to have someone come in and help with that process and look at that bigger picture to help design that effectively. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, you know, a lot of times uh, consultants learning in the space, learning space are uh, called in when there's an urgent need. Um, but there's an amazing opportunity to come in at a different point in the process, whether it's starting with that urgent need and then working backwards or being called in in a more strategic place, because we really want people to be able to show up authentically at work and we want them to feel like their organization values them because when they feel valued at work, they're going to show up with uh, new skills, new passion for that work and are going to have much, a much greater loyalty to their organization. Uh, and ultimately that's going to feed into whoever your audience is, right? Your customers, your members, your constituents, whatever that looks like for each individual organization. So and at the end of the day, everyone is going to benefit from that. But it's something that it often happens in the reverse where there's an urgent training need or something happening. You need to bring in a consultant to solve that. And then you can take a step back and, and look at the strategy from there. Right. It's kind of like waiting until you're feeling so terrible to go to the doctor <laughs> instead of just going for a checkup to make sure everything's in working order. It's true. That's a very good analogy. So let's talk about some of these virtual training tips, especially how it relates to nonprofits. I know you have a lot of experience with that design. So I'd like to hear your advice on that and how they can engage employees, especially right now where hardly anybody is meeting in person and you're trying to keep that team feel and keep everyone engaged and excited about your mission. Yeah. So I think, you know, we're in an interesting time. We're recording this during uh, COVID. And I think there's something like 60% of organizations, uh, 60% of people are remote right now. So there are some essential workers, obviously still in person. Some offices are slowly starting to, to reopen, uh, but still that's a, a large percentage of the workforce is currently remote. And so your training needs, your onboarding needs, those things don't necessarily go away just because you're not in an in-person environment. And that's one of the reasons that I like to talk about virtual so much. It's something that we, we still have the opportunity to invest in our staff and to help them feel that connection to our organization and to serve our people better, our audiences better. So when I um, talk about virtual training tips, it's something I get really excited about, but I, um, I like to say you need to start with a clear direction. And this is true for really anything in life, but I, I think it's worthy of a, of a statement when we're talking about training as well. Start with a clear direction. Uh, sometimes this is going all the way back to your organization's strategy, whether you're looking at your strategic plan or your operating goals. Um, you know, what is it that you need people to do? And if you can focus in on that and really focus in on the action piece, um, a lot of times what I see is when people say they need, need training, they say, I need them to know. And then they list out all the topics, right? Um, at the end of the day, they don't need to know any of those things. They need to be able to do something with that knowledge. And so if you focus, That's a good point. if you focus in on that do piece, um, you can actually uh, eliminate a lot of training problems that we see, so to speak. So focus in on the action, yes. And then um, you want to focus in on the actions that are going to give you the best results for your organization. So again, take it all the way back if you have to your, to your strategic plan or your operating goals. What is it that you need them to do? And then 
focus on those actions, then move into the training piece. So once you have that, you can look at the learning experience and how do we create a learning experience that will allow your staff to practice those actions. So again, still very focused on the do. You know, we do see the subject matter expert often has a lot of knowledge, um, a lot of expertise, a lot of passion around the topic. So if you have a subject matter expert who is going to train other people in your organization, you do end up a lot of times with that knowledge dump. And so if you focus in on those actions, that's where you really want to be. Create the learning experience that will allow your staff to practice those actions that you need them taking. You know, knowledge does not equal behavior change, but you can allow them to practice, allow them to be in a safe space, really, to practice that, get feedback. And then you're going to see where the knowledge is helpful, um, but you're going to see that behavior change uh, that you're looking for. That's so important. It is. It is. And a knowledge dump, I just keep calling it that, but a knowledge dump is hard enough in an in-person environment to sit through as a learner. Mm -hmm. It is even harder in a virtual space. So I think this becomes even more important. We are staring at a computer screen, probably on a Zoom call. You might be able to see the other person. You might not, depending on whether you use video. And it's really easy to multitask. And so uh, you want to make sure that you're giving them the only the most relevant and useful pieces of information to help them do their jobs better. If they feel like there's something in it for them, um, they are more likely to pay attention. And so being really um, specific about what they need to know in order to do those things um, is really important. Um, And then, you know, there's always a question in the virtual space of if we need them to do something, how can you do that virtually? How can you let them practice in in a virtual setting? And I um, have a couple of tips around that as well, just to help think about how do you allow that practice piece within the virtual space. So a couple of ways that you can do this. One is uh, look at what technology you have available to you and how you can leverage that technology. So if you're in Zoom, for example, you might want to use the chat box. You might want to use polling features. You will probably want to use small breakout groups to allow them to have conversation and practice in that way. But also, what are some other things, what are some other tools that you can use even outside of whatever that um, sort of conferencing system is, right? So if you need them, I can give an example um, that I've used in the past with people to help illustrate this is, um, let's say you need your staff to listen to customer needs and document them in a new way. So you could just tell them what that new process is, right? That's a knowledge transfer. The, the chances of them doing that correctly are not as high if you just tell them as it is if you allow them to practice it. So to, to practice that in a virtual space, you could use scenarios. You could have some examples of things that customers are coming to them with. And then um, your staff are able to respond in that virtual environment how they would if it were a real customer or whatever we call our audience. You can do that in small breakout groups and you can have the other people in that small breakout group participating with them as the customer, listening and observing and providing feedback and listening for different things, different intent as well. Was it factual? Did they hit all the the facts that they needed in that conversation? Was it, uh, did they show empathy? Were they interacting on a soft skill level with that customer the the way they needed to? Um, Then for the documenting piece, you can use something like um, Google Slides or some other shared slide space where they can actually practice documenting that conversation as they're having it. 
And then that Google slide, again, they can get that peer feedback, but that can come back to the main session where then the instructor can also provide feedback on what was done in that breakout room. So again, instead of just telling them, here's the new process, you've now taken them through a scenario, allowed them to practice both listening and documenting, and they're getting feedback from others on how well they did so that they can continue to improve moving forward. So that's just one example of how you can continue to allow for practice and learning within a virtual environment. That is so good. And I'm just thinking about different trainings and conferences I've been to. And the ones where I learned the most were those where we did interact or do some of those scenarios and role playing and the different types of activities, like you're saying, whether it was in person or virtual, that's the kind that you really remember and learn how to apply those concepts and the actual lessons from it. Absolutely. And also what you were saying about the training, it makes me think about like the good practices or concepts of writing where you make it about the reader. This is kind of the same way you're making it about the staff or the volunteer, as opposed to you and what you want them to know. It's about them and how can they internalize this to where it becomes a part of their everyday routine and natural for them. Absolutely. So those are amazing tips. I feel like that was just a wealth of knowledge condensed into this (laughs) really short time frame. (laughs) So funny. Yeah. You know, it's so important. I, you know, I agree with you completely. When you think about your own experiences going to trainings or conferences, often that is when you feel like you got the most out of it, which when it's the most applicable. And uh, sometimes that means you're hands on with it in order in order to really feel like you know how to apply it. You know, a lot of what I do is based in kind of my personal belief system. Most most of us are that way. I think it's just a matter of whether we've articulated it or not. But I believe that people are happier when they feel valued and capable in their roles. Um, And so you want whatever learning experience you create to be engaging. And you want it to leverage what they already know. They have a wealth of experience. You hired your staff for a reason. Um, they have experience. They have expertise. Let them bring that into the into the learning experience and share that with each other. But then also provide them with new skills that help them that are just really actionable for them and help make their jobs easier or allow them to do their jobs even better. People welcome that, um, and that's why it's important to really focus in on the right things at the right time uh, and allow them to be hands-on whenever possible. Which is why I always say, start with a clear direction. Yes, definitely. And I think a lot of organizations, especially nonprofits, are sitting on a goldmine of resources that they're not tapping into. They hired their staff who do have these diverse skills and experiences that they could tap into, but a lot of them are not. They're saying, we have this job, you need to do it and make yourself fit this role instead of what skills do you have that you're amazing at? And let's maximize those and really use those to the most effectiveness that we can. And if they would really look at that differently, I think they could make better use of their resources and their people and the people would enjoy it more. Absolutely, Like you said too, they're more engaged and hands-on and feel like they are of value and have a lot of value to bring. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we look at people's experience when we hire them because we look at their resume, but then we generally don't look at it again. Uh, And so we go back to, well, this is the job. This is what they're supposed to do, or this is what I hired them to do. Why aren't they doing it that way? Instead of thinking about what skills are they bringing? How can they share those skills with others? uh, How can we leverage them? Like you said, even outside of that job description, 
And what can, what can they still improve on? Because really we should be giving people opportunities and jobs as well. So they shouldn't necessarily have to come with every single skill on that job description. It's nice, I guess, when they do, it's nice for you as an organization, but for them, it's probably a little less nice. And I would, I would argue they might not stay with the organization as long <laughs> if they mm-hmm. already have every skill in their job description on True. the day they start. Right. That's a good point. And I was thinking too, that a lot of times someone may pull in, say, a college intern who wants to learn, but they don't know a lot about the operations or the nonprofit, but they are probably a whiz at tech and social media. So give them that responsibility and let them run with it. Instead of trying to control every step of how they're doing, let them go to town and see what they do. And they'll probably amaze you with it. So sometimes people come in with skills that are untapped and would love to just role with something in a way that really showcases and allows them to be creative that we couldn't ever have put a label on or said, I want you to do these things right. because we're not all that type of thinker. We don't have the capacity for some of those things. So that's the beauty of bringing in the different types of personalities and experiences and skills that people have. It is. It is. I mean, we often rely on our past experiences in order to do our current work. But if we only have our past experiences, we don't have a lens into someone else's past experiences. So like you're saying, looking at that college intern and their experience is going to be different. So even just what they would come up with might be very different than what I would come up with. And if I were to try to quote unquote control that, right? Like if I were to try to do that, I'm going to put it in a box and it's the box that I understand. Exactly. Uh, whereas they have a different box. Mm-hmm. Right. So then when we start using each person's boxes, we can build something a lot bigger and better with that. Sure. I'm picturing Legos. Yes. <laughs> that could be because I have two young children, but I'm picturing Legos. That's we had those days too. <laughs> yep. All shapes and sizes and colors. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a good comparison. Pretty much all nonprofits are on a pretty tight budget or at least they have to make every dollar count and show the results of the work they're doing. Mm -hmm. Where would you recommend a nonprofit start with something like this? If they don't have a whole lot of this in place yet that you're talking about, Mm -hmm. where would be the best place to invest strategically Mm -hmm. and on a budget like that? Yeah, I think, you know, we were forced remote. Uh, Many of us were forced remote back in March and whether uh, the organization had uh, a way of doing video calls before that or not. We have certainly gotten much better at them uh, over the past nine, nine or so months. Um, so I would say start there. Start with what you have. If you have Zoom, if you have WebEx, if you have uh, Google Meet or GoToMeeting, there are a ton of them out there, right? Microsoft Teams, most people, most organizations use Microsoft Office, right? So Microsoft Teams is even a good place to start. Use what you have but prepare the people who are going to do the training to train differently uh, because it, it is very different to try to facilitate virtually than it is in person. Uh, even some of the same, the same skills that you might expect somebody to have in person, if they don't translate um, into virtual. And I can give you an example. In person, many trainers are experienced with and or trained to ask open-ended questions right? Because you want to have a conversation. So you open it up you, to whoever is in the room and you ask this great big open-ended question. 
you might have a few seconds of silence, but then with enough eye contact, someone is going to speak up. Or three or four try at once, and then you're in the awkward, <laughs> right. you go, no, you go. That's true. Very true. And, and that works because you have some body language and you have some eye contact and you're able to get that conversation started. And because it's open-ended, you can, you can move that first response into a conversation. In the virtual setting, you are much more likely to hear crickets if you ask an open-ended question. <laughs> Nobody wants to speak up first. Everyone generally is a little more hesitant to speak up anyway. So then to have this big open question, it's just silent. Um, and so one of the, the, the tricks that I use is start with a closed question. Start with a yes or no. Because then you have people, even if you just do it in the chat box and like, has anybody ever experienced this? Yes or no in the chat box, right? Then you can see, okay, eight people have experienced this. So I know when I ask that follow-up open-ended question, at least eight people have a response. So then you can say, okay, I see that you know eight of you have had this experience. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about that? What was that like for you? And now those eight people are more likely to speak up because they it's known that they have that experience. Um, and whereas if you had just started with that open question, you're likely to just not get a response at all. You're building stepping stones a little closer together for them. It is. It is like stepping stones. I like that approach. You don't have, you know, virtually, even if you have video, you don't have as much body language. You can't really make eye contact because if you're on Zoom video, for example, you don't really know who the person is looking at when they're right. looking out there. I know. I was in a meeting the other day pointing at one of the gals <laughs> and I realized they have no idea which one I'm pointing to. Right. Exactly. It's just like kind of the, the Brady Bunch, but you don't know who is in what box right. other people's computer screens. And people turn videos on and off too. So then there goes the body language aspect altogether. It's true. Sometimes people don't even have the bandwidth, right, to, to keep video on. And if you want to be able to hear them, they have to turn their video off. There's a lot of uh, a lot of unique things about facilitating virtually. Right. So I would say use what you have. If you're on a low budget, use what you have, whatever that is. But spend some time really preparing the people who are going to deliver the training so that they know how to deliver virtually more effectively. And it's a better experience for everyone. So start farther back in the process. Start upstream a little bit to help be more effective as it trickles down. Yes. Absolutely. I have a, um, a free resource on my website, Three Tips for Virtual Facilitation, which is all about ending that awkward silence in the virtual classroom. Oh, good. And that is that would be a great uh, starting point for any organization that's looking at doing this. I can almost hear the listeners cringing at the thought of the virtual silence. <laughs> right. No, not dead airtime. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that sounds great. It is. I mean, if you think about it as a facilitator, if you're in an in-person room, uh, for example, you forget where you're, what you're talking about, or you forget where you are in the presentation. You can fill that silence as you walk back to your notes. You can fill that silence by walking around the room, and it doesn't feel like you lost your place. True. It doesn't feel <laughs> like you don't know what you're doing, right? You can buy yourself a little time. You can. And virtually, every second matters. I don't know why, but one second, three seconds feels like an eternity in a virtual setting. That's true. And it doesn't in person. So, you know, preparing those virtual facilitators is, is really, really important to creating that better experience for everyone. That's a good point because really attention spans are shorter now, I think. And we're so used to just scrolling and clicking away if something's not interesting enough. And we, I know I listen to podcasts on 
much faster speed. (laughs) So we're used to just that quick in and out information. We don't want to sit around and have that pause. We've almost forgotten how to allow space in our listening and in our learning. So that's a good point. Yeah. That's a challenge for the trainers. It is. It is. Um, But hopefully um, that resource, and I can get you a link to that resource as well. But yeah, I'll put that in the notes. um, You know, it's a free resource. It just gives some easy tools for their tool belt uh, to help them get started in the right direction. Good. Thank you. This has been such good information. I'm going to go back and listen and take notes myself because (laughs) of some of the trainings I'm doing. These are great things to incorporate. And even with an education background, you know, you're trying to have different elements that appeal to different types of learners and get them engaged and get that feedback. But this virtual piece is a whole new ball game, like you said. And so we really do have to make more of a conscious effort to add those. It's like a whole next level of strategies that we need to incorporate. So this has been really good. Yeah, it is. When you said that, it reminded me of one more thing that I think um, might be valuable. And and that's just whether formal or informal, um, make sure to take the time to evaluate the training, whatever it is, right? If you don't have the, the opportunity or the ability to do some big formal evaluation strategy, that's fine. But as you start to um, include more people in the training, get feedback, get, you know, create those feedback loops, whether it's a, just a conversation or a survey, talk to the people who are delivering the training, talk to the people who are attending the training to see what little things you can do to improve along the way. And that's also a pretty low cost thing you can do to make sure that you're getting people what they need when they need it. That's a really good point. And sometimes you'll, well, probably most of the time you'll be surprised at what you learn from that. Absolutely. The things they really liked or the things they would like to see, you'll get a lot of good ideas from that for future training. Yeah, definitely. So as we wrap up, share a resource that has been meaningful to you, whether it's a book, a quote, something that has really helped you in your journey in getting to this point. Yeah. So I have a a quote in my office that says, we rise by lifting others. And it's by uh, Robert Ingersoll. And I just uh, believe that so much. And maybe it's a a part also a part of kind of who I am as a person, what I do for a living. But, you know, if we can do one thing every day to help make someone else's day or experience better, uh, then I feel like we can say we accomplished something that day. And So, you know, no matter what your role is, whether you have trading coming up or not, uh, think about who in your life and your work you can lift up each day. Mm, Such a good reminder. And that's really the crux of nonprofit service, whether you're a grant writer or in a nonprofit working, that's really why you're doing it is to serve others. Yeah, absolutely. Such a good point. All right. Thank you. And where can we find you online if people want to connect? Yeah, my business is Skillmasters Market. So you can go to my website, skillmastersmarket.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm really active there. Uh, it's just under my name, Heather Burright. Yes, I've seen since we recently connected there, you have a lot of great posts and information that you share. I've thank you. enjoyed following you. Thank you. So yeah, well, thank you. I really encourage everyone to check this out because I've learned a lot here and I know you have a lot of good resources on your website. And sometimes you just need that boost, just kind of that little extra push to help and then it's amazing how much more engagement and just how things come together. It's kind of a catalyst. So thank you for this. This has been such amazing information. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
If you love this show and you learn something new about being the type of grant writer the world needs so you can create a ripple in your community, please go leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts today. Thanks for listening. Now go change your world.